0: I'm Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in scripture, to my life to your life. So enjoy the message. We'll see how that goes, but as we do, I want to welcome you. It's so good to be here together to worship together today. Gabby is probably uh, getting changed right now, but what an awesome thing to be invited to be here, to be here at the exact same time and place. That was a delight. You should know, by the way, earlier today, I had the opportunity to be in that same baptistry to baptize little Molly. That happened seven minutes into our first service, which meant that I had to get, you know, changed and back right here to be able to preach and to share this message with you. I'm so glad that you are here as we continue our steps through the book of Romans today. Balloons and Telescopes. Young and old, I think you'll be interested in this. Balloons and telescopes. I'd like to invite you to turn to Matthew 13. And while you're turning to Matthew 13, we have a couple of our deacons around that are going to pass among us in case you have, and I left mine in my pew here, but in case you have gotten to this point and would still like to have one of our journals. She's perfect. Thank you, Rick. If you want one of our journals, even if you've had another one, you are welcome to them. We're going to keep giving these out till they're gone. A little hand right here is raised right in the front, too. Don't miss her. She'd like one right down here. Thank you very much. They're going to be passing among you and uh, be happy to give you one of these. This, you get to decide what's important in these, okay? And it might be that you will hear, I would hope, that you're going to hear something that you might even be a little curious to go check on for yourself and write just a little note about that. Or maybe you are like some of us who think better, Zach, who think better when we move our hands somehow. Uh, drawing would be a lovely thing. I'm gonna show you a picture. If you're a younger person, I'm gonna show you a picture that young Molly drew for me a few years ago That I is one of my favorites. So if you get a chance and you draw a picture, please show it to me. I'd be very curious to see what you have drawn. And I have uh, learned that it's not just our youngest who like to draw. And it helps us focus our minds and actually really lock in on concepts that matter to us. So as they finish that up, I'll just also point out two things. One, if you have somehow gotten to this point and missed it, you should know next week we will not be having our worship services exactly as normal, but it will be sunrise, our special weekend, telling the story of Jesus Christ across our campus, his life, his death, his resurrection to our community. And so if you come and just try to get in, it's a a ticketed event because we give those tickets away to our guests in the community. Community, and it, there will be throngs of individuals here, it'll be a little different. Some of you are participating in a wide range of ways and we're thankful for that. You might also know or want to know if you're a part of our church family, that at the end of this month, you'll notice it in the bulletin or in the little slide loops. I just want you to know about it. We're having a church business meeting to be able to talk about some of the exciting plans our school system has and what, how, how we feel about where God is leading our school system as they prepare to consider launching a new building project. Okay, so I've bought you enough time. You have a journal. You've found Matthew chapter 13 probably, right? Well, I'm going to just admit something to you. Uh, Luby's over here. You might know about this. So on Wednesday evenings, uh, we do an online uh, uh, prayer meeting at 8 o'clock. A small group of us get together. I do a YouTube live. It's called Pastor Dave's Patio uh, Prayer Time. Prayer patio live. So uh, along the way, we've taken tackled different kind of books and so on. It's a half hour, short little period of time that we get together and we pray over anything that we want to bring up. But we also kind of lock in on a spiritual idea. And right now, it's through the book Christ Objects Object Lessons. Christ's Object Lessons. Love the parables of Jesus. Digging around in the parables of Jesus. If there were a parable that you, you said, just make a list of parables just from the top of your head, just list parables. Oh, I would have a lot of them to list, a lot of them to list. But the one we're about to take a look at, I would say would be one of the ones I would most naturally have forgotten to mention on the list. As I was studying for today's sermon, collided right up against the Wednesday evening prayer meeting time as I'm preparing and thinking about this particular parable. Maybe you know it well, maybe you don't. Matthew chapter 13, you've gone there toward the back half. It's verse 52. I'll just draw your text. It's encapsulated in one verse, but all the telltale signs of a parable. Here Jesus says these words. Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like. Ah, Parable talk. Every, every instructor of the law, by the way, that would be preacher, teacher, right? Everyone who tries to tell you about God's Word is, is in the kingdom of heaven, instructed about the kingdom of heaven, is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So Jesus says, look, Um, Everybody who would talk about the Scripture, who would tell you something about the Scripture, who understands my kingdom, they're like somebody who goes into their house, maybe like a grandpa whose family has gathered for a family reunion, and everybody is there, and he goes into his house to try to show you some things that might help you understand who he is, right? And so he goes into the storerooms, into the attic of the house, and he brings out some, maybe there's something he's done that, you, that he just finished this last week, a project. If he were a wood, woodworker like myself, maybe it'd be something like that. But he might also bring out something old. He'd take out the new, take out the old, and show you these new, old, these treasures. Jesus' little parable, I'll I be honest with you, I would go streaming past that parable pretty quickly, except now we land in the book of Romans and a teaching that I think has significance and relates to this parable. We're going to unpack, we're going to dig in, we're going to talk about balloons, we're going to think about telescopes and God's word, would you bow your head with me again in prayer, Father thank you so much that we get to worship in a place with young and old, especially as I spool through my life more and more uh, relating to what it even means to be older, I thank you for the energy of our youth, our, our children. Thank you, Lord. For our high school students, for our college students, for Gabby's commitment to you today, for Molly's commitment to you today, thank you for allowing us to be here for that. And as we consider your word today, balloons, telescopes, treasures, new and old, and our steps through the book of Romans. Would you bless us with your presence? Would you open our minds to insights that would matter to us today? I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, quick question. How many of you have ever been a student missionary by raise of hand? It's good to identify those of us in the midst. Okay, I see a handful of us, a number of us. All right. I was a student missionary back in the year of our Lord, 1983. I know. I've still got most of my original teeth and everything. It's great. Uh, so I went as a student missionary after my freshman year right here on this campus, went to, as a student missionary to a little island seven degrees north of the equator out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. You know that part of the globe where if you spin it, you, know, you, you hit the west coast of the United States and then you go out and there's Hawaii out there and then you turn the globe just a little further and it's just water. It's all there is. It's just water. Well, it, And and a few other little tiny dots. If you can get in there on top of those, this was a little island called Majuro in the Marshall Islands and atoll, and I was there for a year. Anybody been to to Majuro? I this this morning had somebody who was a student missionary in Majuro as well, and and they just lit up. In fact, as I gave, you know, I was a student missionary. Yeah, I was a student missionary. I was a student missionary in the in the Pacific. Pacific. I was seven degrees north of the equator, Majuro. Yeah, they were excited about it. Actually, one of the things I loved about it was that there were a lot of student missionaries there. So while there was all this amazing adventure on behalf of God, uh, there were also, I mean, there were a lot of students. There were a number of them from Southern here. We had six of us living in one apartment. One of my friends was named Michael. He and I would get together with some regularity and study God's Word. He was kind of processing a call. He had identified that he was called to, to pastoral ministry, and I was wrestling with that whole question. I was kind of pushing hard against it, but during that, that year, I kind of, well, I, I kind of let go of all the things that were holding that away, and came to grips with the fact that God might be calling me to ministry, and he and I would study with some regularity. I don't know, I don't have a memory of this, how this happened, I don't know if somebody uh, kind of came to us and said, hey, you're going to want to listen to this radio program that's going to happen this Sunday, or maybe it had been broadcast once and then was being rebroadcast, and somebody said, oh, we heard this, you ought to listen to it. Basically, here's what was going on. There on the island of Madro, the Seventh-day Adventist Protestant Christian church presence was really large. Everybody knew the, well, they didn't say Seventh-day Adventist, it was SDAs, SDAs. You could hitchhike anywhere on the island you wanted to and if somebody drove along and they would, they would pick you up and you just say SDA and they would drive you right to where our location was. They knew exactly where we were. And, uh, and it, was, it was a prominent denomination, much more so there than in some parts of North America for sure. Um, there were a number of different Protestant churches there. The Catholic church had a number of uh, mission elements that they were doing as well. Well, this particular radio program was led by a pastor of a Protestant church that was in the United States, a much larger uh, presence, but on this island, kind of smallish, and apparently what he had decided to do was take each of the other churches, especially those that had been there for a while and were kind of established, the Seventh-day Adventist Church for one, and he was going to take one day each Sunday in a row and just talk about why those folks were wrong. (laughs) It was kind of... It's kind of interesting. It felt a little odd, but somebody said, you got to listen to this Sunday. Apparently, such and so is going to be preaching. He's going to be teaching. This, this one's going to be at the, about the, the SDAs. you got to check this out. Okay? I remember listening carefully, and Michael and myself listening to this program and growing agitated. For instance, this particular preacher who, who, by the way, their big focal point of kind of attack on my family of faith had to do with, guess what? The Sabbath. The Sabbath. And so I remember vividly hearing his voice as he opened up God's word in Matthew chapter 12 in this particular passage after which Jesus, Jesus has just led his disciples on a Sabbath through a field and they have plucked grain and eaten it and the Pharisees are pointing out the laws they have broken and Jesus says the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath along with a couple of other things and I remember this particular preacher saying you see and of course he's speaking to a large number of individuals who English is their second language and he's speaking in English and he says you see the son of man is lord even of the sabbath you are the son or the daughter of a man you are lord of the sabbath i found myself going okay interesting interesting and on it went and on it went and we found our way in that particular talk to the book of romans chapter 10 and this verse some i see a head nodding you know where this is all headed some of you have been in these very conversations. Here we go. Paul writes, for Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Christ is the end of the law. And that was the bottom line point. Jesus, how many of you have heard of this? Jesus did away with the law. Jesus ended the law. Paul says it right here, right? I remember thinking, like, well, if some of what you're doing there doesn't feel intellectually honest. I'm not even sure you believe the whole notion that Jesus' point with, in, in Matthew there was that you have control over the Sabbath because you are uh, born of a person. Well, Michael said, you know what? We should go talk to this individual. We should go talk to him, see what they're thinking, and actually, you know, just share our hearts. And so Michael and I went to college students. Uh, I think we were very zealous, I'm sure. Uh, uh, I, I, I wish I could say for absolute certain that we went in, a, in hum- humility. I know that we spent some time actually reading through a portion of Timothy, Paul's letters to Timothy, talking to him about how you speak to, to your elders in humility. I remember feeling a need to kind of do that. Went and sat down with this particular preacher and, and uh, I don't, I, he it felt defensive from the jump, from the start, right? And we asked about his exegesis of, of Matthew of how he was, and his base point was that the law had been done away with. And in point of fact, what he was talking about was the Ten Commandments. Now, by the way, right here, and we're not gonna get to spend a ton of time of it, uh, the, the idea that Christ is the end of the law, you'd have to ask yourself, well, wait, what are you meaning by the law? That would be one appropriate question, and we're not going to spend much time on it, except to say, because you could be thinking the law the way many a Jew would think. The law is actually the entirety of the Old Testament. The law is another word for the Scriptures, because the New Testament wasn't even in place at much of the time, certainly the time of Christ, The New Testament isn't there. He's living out the New Testament. It's the Scriptures, the law. Some would say the law are the five books of Moses. Others would say the law are the Ten Commandments. Many, and in fact, you should know, we will give you this little giveaway. You can go and study it for yourself, but most scholars would believe that the way to understand the word law here in in Romans chapter 10 is that he's referring to the ceremonial law. All of the sacrificial acts and the the special services and the festivals and feasts and that this was, but be that as it may, the question is how do we deal with, how do we feel about, what about this notion that it has ended, that it is over? And so I'd like for us to take a moment and think about some, because Paul has a ton to say about this, and it's probably important, and I believe it's beautiful too. This Paul who will tell us of balloons and telescopes. We're going to go to Romans chapter 10. By the way, Romans chapters is, is broken up into, well, so you know the chapter breaks were not made by Paul. That was made after the fact, in as logical a form as possible. But scholars will tell you that Romans has kind of four divisions, clusters of sections of Scripture that have commonality and are trying to get at the same thing. Four of them And the third of those four is a section Romans chapter 9 through 11. So this is in the heart of that third section clump. And in fact, you're going to notice we're going to have a little tiny callback at the very beginning to Romans chapter 9. You watch this. So Romans chapter 10, verse 1, brothers, some of your versions will say, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is, is that they may be saved. You remember Romans chapter nine, verse one, if you flip that open and take a look at it, he's going to say, you know, you trust me on this, believe what I have to say, this may sound ridiculous, but I'm telling you, I would give my eternal life if I could, to save my fellow Jews. He cares about it. He cares about these Folks, he says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And by the way, before we just go racing on, lock in on this, the Paul in the New Testament, the apostles of the New Testament, the Jesus of Scripture does not give me license based on some understanding that I have to look down on somebody else. In fact, he says, if you have something more, this should humble you and it should call you to a place of concern. So that, by the way, there is no place in Christianity to look down on the Jew. There is no place in Christianity to look down on the Muslim, the Hindu, the Buddhist. There's no place, actually, in the cause of Christ to look down on the agnostic or on the atheist. Actually, there is greater obligation, the more you know about Jesus Christ, to lay your life down for another, and especially those more different than you. We go on. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that the Israelites might be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. By the way, this is a common, you know, there was a a high value placed on zealotry, on being zealous, not just half-hearted. Jesus talks about it in the book of Revelation. I wish you were zealous. I wish you were either in or out. I wish you were hot or cold. But Paul says, by the way, zealousness, which in some ways had been elevated as the thing, zealousness only matters if you have a knowledge. You can be zealous. I'm pretty sure that Mike and I, as we met with that particular pastor, were somewhat zealous. I'm not sure that it was in all ways like Christ. I remember as we had that conversation that we would kind of be narrowing down, and, and, and it seemed quite clear that the Ten Commandments were only an issue for this particular individual with regard to one of the commandments. He was not suggesting that it was uh, kind of a murdering was a great deal or that adultery was the way, or no, it seemed to be pretty specific. And as we kind of talked and dialogued, we bounced and bounced, but we could never kind of get to down into one subject, but it got to a place, I remember feeling this, it got to a place of contention. And actually, I was starting to feel less and less safe in this other person's home. It seemed really clear to me that we were at a point where we were not actually gonna be trying to be good friends. And there was a divide that started to feel deep and an impassable, based on zealotry, to be honest with you. So what is it that Paul is going to say matters in this whole zealousness? Well, here he goes in the third verse. Since they, the Jews, did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own righteousness. We've talked about this in the past. Remember Romans chapter 3, we talked about the notion that, that the righteousness that is required for life in God's presence. Well, the question is, is this something you've got to come up with, or is this something that only can come from somewhere else? It's a little bit like we talked about at the very beginning of our our series, when we had a few individuals step forward and then reach as high as they could to the ceiling, and we had kind of a winner, and we had somebody who could reach not nearly as high, but the problem is none of them could reach the ceiling. Or if we had a gulch that we were trying to jump, a chasm we were trying to jump across, that, you know what, just because you can jump further out to your death doesn't really help It stops being about who jumped the furthest and starts being about the fact that we can't make it across. And in Romans chapter three, as in this moment, the way across is Jesus. Paul is saying, your righteousness will never make it, and the Jew is taking the law and their attempt at completing and fulfilling the law as their way across, and it won't reach across since they did not know that the righteousness, it comes from God and sought to establish their own. They tried to find their own way across and it'll never work. But the way across is Jesus. We've talked about this in the past, so does that mean that there, anybody who, uh, you know, Jesus is the way across so everybody's saved? There are some who actually believe that. Ah, there is something. What is that something? And Paul couches it here in the back half of this verse this way. <clears throat> he said, They did not submit to God's righteousness. And if you were to ask me, Gabby, what it is that what you did really symbolizes, here's what I think I would say that you recognize that Jesus is the way across. And you are saying, I'm in. Not not, not you, well then go across Jesus, I'll be over here, I'll do something else. No, no, it means I am going to stake my life that you will make it across and that you will carry me. I'm going I'm to drop everything else I have and I'm just going to climb on your back. Do you remember, some of you will, do you remember we showed pictures of Blondin, a guy who went across the Niagara Falls on a high wire, do you remember this? The late 1800s, and he was so good at his high wire act across the Niagara Falls that he went once with a wheelbarrow. He went once, it says on stilts, I'm having a hard time imagining it. And then, do you remember the picture? In the picture, if you look closely in that grainy 1800s picture, there's Blondin going across, and there's something on his back, do you remember? It's his manager is on his back. You see, what the manager is saying is, I'll bet everything that he can make it across. My whole life, I'm climbing on. That's what I think you're doing, Gabby, is you are symbolizing through that act of baptism, I'm, I'm climbing on the back of Jesus Christ, and he's, he's, he's carrying me. I believe he'll carry me. So I submit my, all of my pride, I sub- submit all of my attempts, I submit all of me, To him. I'm going to bet it all on him. That's what I think Molly was doing in her young mind in this little baptistry as she stepped up onto a stool because otherwise it was dangerously close. And she is tipped back into the waters of submission to Jesus. And Paul says, you know, there are there are those who are willing to submit to his righteousness, and there are those who want to make their own way. And the Jewish nation is built around this notion of making your own way. But guess what? Christianity can do that too. Ah, Seventh-day Adventist Christianity can do that too. Right here in these pews, we can do that too. The question is, Not can you get this thing done, but will you submit to the one who can? That's the question. And then, as the New International Version here says, so Christ then is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. By the way, you will note that I've I've taken, because some of you have an NIV translation and it doesn't say this exactly, does it? Some of you. That's because this is the 1984 edition of the New International Version. And in fact, in subsequent years, scholars, as they continue to study, said, you know, that isn't quite right. In fact, I'm going to show you a variety of translations of this kind of question mark. What is it that's going on here? Here's the NCV. Christ ended the law so that everyone who believes in him may be right with God. The Jerusalem Bible, which since has been changed, scholars go, this isn't quite right, but here's how it was. But now the law has come to an end, right? With Christ. And everyone who has faith must be justified. So... By the way, there is one Greek word here that is the law and has come to an end is another Greek word. We're not gonna have time for this one, but we're gonna talk about this word that we translate, the end. And you can see here that some translations or some people, this pastor, I'll say friend, of mine in Majuro had decided that the way you understand Romans chapter 10 verse 4 is that something was terminated, something was done, something ended at the law. And it's true you can understand it in some ways that way, but is that really what's being said here? No. Thank you. <laughs> this is an argument. By the way, interestingly, of course Greek was used for other writings as well as the New Testament, right? And in common use of the Greek, this would almost never be the way they would use it. In New Testament Greek, the word translated here was sometimes translated this way. It's the end. It's, the, it's, it's, it's when something's done. It's okay, so we can pack it up and we can throw it away. That's over. We don't need it anymore. It's over. But there is another very common use as well. So the word itself is telos, great. Telos. And the way it's being used here is an acceptable understanding of meaning of the word, the end, the termination, the cessation, it's over. Now, uh, how many of you traveled over Christmas to some place? How many of you traveled to some place over Christmas? Yeah, we did. I know I saw my wife's hand flinch up. She knows. Yep, we did. Uh, we went on a trip. And uh, I won't surprise you to learn, we went on a trip to Michigan, to where all of our children were going to gather together, and we spent about eight days there, I think it was, uh, in, in middle Michigan. So, if you ask me, how was your trip, what do you think is going through my head? How do you think I'm unpacking your question? Well, I can tell you what does not immediately or initially dawn on me, is I'm not thinking Well, I mean, the gas was expensive, and uh, boy, I hate being in the car that long. It was a little over 12 hours, and, uh, you know, the stops, and I get, my legs, man, anybody else? I get kind of, how was your trip? That is one of the ways that you could be meaning that question, right? By the way, as we get to the end of those 12 or so hours, and we're there in that little Uh, driveway of my daughter's home, and we get out of the car, was our trip over. Depends on what you mean. But the thing that is most prominent in my head is that actually the trip feels like now it's really begun, right? Right? because I'm not thinking of just a car ride. I'm not thinking about something. It's a necessary, it's a part of what's going on that is a part of this whole trip. The rest of it doesn't happen without this first part, but it is not the sum. It's not even the really important part of it, right? At least not to me. So there's another way to understand this. Uh, An appropriate unpacking of the word telos would be this, the goal, the purpose, the end point, the intent, the culmination. Have you ever heard somebody ask this question, to what end? It uses the word end. But to what end are you doing that? To what end was the law? Is a statement, a question mark, that has more to do with, well, what's the what's the purpose? Where is it headed? Where's it trying to go? What is going on? And so, as we read this, we start to see that more and more translators are grappling with the fact, actually, if you just translate this part of Romans chapter 10 as the Messiah Jesus ended the law, you've missed the picture completely. In fact, better translated, the Messiah is the goal of the law. It's pointing somewhere so that the covenant membership may be available for all who believe. Or this particular version, for Christ is the fulfillment of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. Or then the most current version of the New International Version, that Jesus Christ is the culmination. This is where it's all headed, where it's pointing. So rather than cessation or being done with, there's an option, an opportunity to look at this as something that actually says, actually, this is where we're headed. It's it's nearly opposites, aren't they? So what about Jesus? What does he say about the law that might feed our understanding if we've got these two options? How might we understand it if we just check in with Jesus as we go along? I love this. In Matthew chapter five, in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking, you remember him saying this? He says, don't think that I've come to end the law. That would be another way to put that, right? To abolish the law, to be done with the law, law to wad it up and throw it away. Don't think, that's not, that's not the right way to look at what I have done. Almost as if he's answering the question for us here, how do you understand Romans chapter 10? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. They they're speaking of me, he's about to say in another place. I have come to fill them full. How many of you (coughs) have had a moment with a balloon? The word which would probably be most most accurately characterized by frustration. Frustration. How many how many of you how many of you have had a child come to you with a balloon and they cannot blow it up and they hand it to you? And of course, you're a mom, you're dead, we got this, and you start to blow, and it's not it's not happening. I'm seeing some brave hands raised. And veins are popping out, and you're starting to think words like embolism, and you just How many of you have had this? You're blowing on this balloon, and suddenly, like a little tiny little Okay, we're done. Let's tie that off. So what do you do, by the way, if you're having trouble blowing up a balloon? Anybody? Oh, I'm seeing it. The hand motions, the hand gestures. Yeah, we're ready for the camp songs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Michael, he's got it. And you, get, once you start getting it going, then you've got to pinch that off and catch your breath. <sighs> And then, and then once it starts to fill, then it will go a little bit more evenly. And By the way, uh, how many of you have started to get to the point where, you know, I mean, no two balloons are necessarily exactly alike. You might have a balloon that's gonna end up being huge. You might have a balloon that's gonna be long and thin. You might have a balloon that's gonna be just kind of, it begs for water, you right? The balloon carried its shape while empty is a participant in what it will look like when filled full but is really difficult. How many of you have played some game or you've, where you have to kind of conceptualize what all a bunch of pieces are gonna actually lock in and be or how it will look and you're trying to abstractly judge what the eventual shape of this thing will be? And so it is with balloons that are not yet full. And Jesus says, I didn't come to throw the balloon away. That's not what's happening here. In fact, you might have had some frustration trying to get air in the balloon, but I came to fill the balloon full. It's going to now mean something more than a flaccid, limp balloon on the floor. It's going to have meaning because of In fact, you might be able to use the word magnify as well. Not that it gets smaller, but that something gets larger. Some of you would be aware that telos or tele is the root to our word telescope. Same, there's a connection there, right? And when you have a telescope, and you're out in the night sky, and you're looking at a star, what you're not doing is saying, okay, as soon as it comes full in here, then it's going to be destroyed. (laughs) Then it will be over, it'll be done, it'll be, gotten." no, no, in fact, a telescope allows you to come near to something that you otherwise would have been far, far away from. That it magnifies it, and it draws it near. But by the way, even with a weaker telescope, it still can be seen, maybe it was fuzzy and hard to appreciate. And this seems to be part of what Jesus and Paul are saying. The Old Testament is not a place that should be characterized as just simply a wrong place, an out of date place, a something that is done. But something that Jesus Christ comes and breathes air into. And now you can look back at the Old Testament and you can see what you couldn't see before because the magnification is so much greater and we can do so by looking through the lens of Jesus Christ. So Christ is this telescope of what it is that is happening. You remember in John chapter 5 that Jesus will say to those who are listening, you search the scriptures, Pharisees, scribes, Learned people, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. So he's standing there in front of them, he's saying, hey look, I am right here. Eternal life is standing in front of you. I'm right here for you, with you, giving myself to you. I'm the direct source, these things point to me. Which is not the same thing as saying these things we're getting rid of because they don't point to me. So I have a question for you. Is it possible that the law all along in ways we could barely even understand all along. The Old Testament, whether you're talking about the entirety of the Old Testament, whether you're talking about the first five books of Moses, whether you're talking about the Ten Commandments, whether you're talking about the sacrificial system, that everything about it is pointing to Jesus all along. You remember the story. Jesus has come to earth. The disciples and, of course, everybody else, they're confused by this Jesus because he isn't what we expected him to be based on our understanding of what the shape we guessed the balloon would go into. It doesn't look like the right shape. And Jesus comes and dies and is risen from the grave, but his disciples think disaster has happened. The thing we're going to celebrate next weekend as the greatest news in the history of the universe, they think is disaster. Because they've got it wrong. And Jesus steps into that and invites a couple of disciples to come over and put your eye against the telescope and look. These two guys have been, uh, they live in Emmaus and they've been in Jerusalem and they're walking home and alongside them comes someone you know, I know, is Jesus Christ. Jesus then took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures that they no longer apply to anything. No, that they are talking about him. That they, if they look through the lens of who he is and what has happened, it's all going to start snapping into place. These puzzle pieces that seem like they don't even go to this puzzle. And they would say to one another later. Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And one, uh, 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 somebody bright here might be saying, Yes, but Pastor Dave, you did say there are two options of how we would read, possibly Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Is it that the law is ended or that the law is fulfilled? That the law is actually enlarged by this understanding that could only be through Jesus Christ? Which way is it? Because you said either is arguable and I would suggest to you that we could let Paul answer some of that for himself. I think you'd be interested to notice if you're wondering, if Paul is saying, you know what, the teachings of the Old Testament, the teachings of the law, the teachings of the prophets, the the teachings of Moses, It was great for then, but now we have Jesus. Get a load of this. In those chapters 9 through 11, here are the places that Paul decides to quote from in those three chapters. Drink that in for a second. We, by the way, are going to talk about the connection with Isaiah, which seems to be pretty massive. In the week to come. Isn't it, wouldn't it be strange for Paul to be saying, you know what, all this stuff that I am citing as a support for my arguments, nonsense, it's over. <laughs> That'd be the wrong way to go, wouldn't it, as compared to saying, no, no, this now means something you could not have appreciated before because Jesus came. You want to talk about Genesis 18, 21, 25? You got to do so you know, under the mindset that Jesus came. You want to talk about Jeremiah 23? Jesus came. You want to talk about almost anything in Isaiah? You got to know, Jesus came here. And this stuff, by the way, Paul seems to be saying, is now more worth our time, not less. Because Jesus came. But if you try to have it as a thing that stands without Jesus, you've missed everything. Because Jesus came, and he pulled the stars from the galaxies barely seen close up. Uh, We'll we'll close with a little telescoping practice here. I mentioned it at the very beginning. Matthew chapter 13, verse 52 in these two slides. Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. And if we partner, if we buddy this notion, this parable up, teachers of the law, those who would be unpacking scriptures, it's the new and the old. Not one or the other. The old is made sense of by the new, and the new has more beauty even because of how the old speaks of it. This is a picture Uh, Do you know what you're looking at? I've shown it before, so some of you would have the cheat code to that if you've heard me tell this. (coughs) This uh, right here, on the left, that's me, I think you know. Uh, And on the right is my good friend Molly, who was baptized in the the earlier service, Gabby. actually, when she handed me this picture about three years ago, I said, oh, Molly, I love this picture. I love this picture. But have you been in that situation with somebody who gives you something like this, and you're just not exactly certain what it is that's happening? And so I I said, Molly, this is awesome. Tell me about what's happening here. And she kind of, I think she was questioning whether I had the wisdom required of your typical adult. And she said, Pastor Dave, that's you baptizing me. That's right. Oh, I'm the one with, you know, I'm the one with the washcloth. <laughs> I think in her eyes, relatively same size, herself and myself. Gabby, I might have done this to you if I I could have figured out how to do it, but uh, so these are pictures from our first service. That's Molly. And what you can't see in that photo, what you you can see is that she's got a pretty tight grip with the right hand on my wrist. (laughs) I hope you're seeing trust. What you might be seeing is joy. Tomorrow is her birthday. Today is her baptism. And she gets to, whenever a candle is blown out after a happy birthday song or a gift is given to her, she gets to lock in the notion that Jesus Christ loves her. And she has put her faith, her trust in his capacity to carry her across the divide. This is her also in the moments to come. You can kind of see that she's standing on a step stool. So here's my question. I guess I can throw this away now. If you think I'm throwing that away, you have completely misunderstood who stands before you. This now means even more to me. And by the way, if I put a picture of myself standing with her, standing with the little... I had to hold the bench, the little stool down, because it was otherwise going to boop, float to the surface. And she nearly swam across to the point where she was standing on. And there, if I put a picture of my hand in the air with her grasping my wrist next to this picture, do you have any doubt what it is you're looking at? And they mean something together. No shot I'm getting rid of that picture. It's one of them. I love the pictures that children draw, and this one has special meaning. So, Paul, in this little section, check out what he does to help me understand how I should read Romans chapter 10, verse four, check out what he does. In the next verses to follow, here's one of the things he says, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. This is Moses writing about righteousness by the law. Verse six, but the righteousness that is by faith says, now this is Moses' words, he's quoting, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So what he's doing here is he's quoting. He's quoting from Moses, from Deuteronomy. He has just said, maybe, that Deuteronomy doesn't matter anymore. And then he quotes Deuteronomy to prove his point. Maybe that should influence how I unpack the fourth verse. Check it out here in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 11. Now what I, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend to heaven to get it and proclaim it is us so we may obey it nor is it beyond the sea so that you will have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. And by the way, that is the equivalent of the notion of you being perfect enough to merit eternal life on something you do. This is Moses. Who's going to... And then he goes on to say, no, 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 the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. Paul goes on, he quotes again, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. And he's saying is, hey, I don't need to create new words. I'm going to just take Moses' words and I'm going to tell you what faith is. It's what Moses was talking about that you do not have to ascend into heaven to somehow lay claim to Jesus Christ. You don't have to go down into the depths of the abyss or even die to be able to somehow come in contact with Jesus Christ. He is so close that he can be in the words in your mouth. He he is in your heart right here. He's the one who crossed the chasm. He knows how to get across the tightrope even to eternity if you would submit that's what Moses was talking about even though we confused it that's what Jesus is doing so he closes in our telescope move that draws Jesus right in here if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved that's what you were doing Gabby That's what little Molly got to do earlier today. That's what some of you need to do now. Proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, submit your heart and say, I know I'm not making it across, it's just, I know it, I've tried and I've tried and I've had good days and then the day comes and the wind blows and I'm shaking and I feel myself falling from a high wire act. And I know I'm not going to make it across. And Jesus says, yeah, you aren't by yourself. But guess who's here? Not just here, somewhere over there or in the stained glass or in a religion class or even in this church as you leave today. He is close by. He comes all the way to you. He is so close, he can be in the very words of your mouth and the notions of your heart. Paul would say it. Jesus Christ came to blow up all of our notions. Not to end them, to fill them full. To give you access to a telescope that allows you to see the very love of God so that when he says, I am the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, you would never know what to even do with that except that Jesus appeared on a cross and is here for you now. Father, as we close, Lord Jesus, draw ever so close. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your power, your capacity, your righteousness. On our behalf, that you can cross the divide and that you have pledged to carry us. Lord, forgive us for the moments that in our pride we say, hey, Get out of our way. We'd like to take a run at it across this tightrope. Forgive us if, as a people, we have made the law in any way, the Sabbath in any way, the goal and misunderstood that it was the way to the goal, that you are indeed the goal, the purpose, the intent, the culmination, the fulfillment. To what end? Jesus. And so hear our hearts. Be in the words of our mouths that we might proclaim in spirit and in truth that Jesus Christ is today, Lord, over me. I submit. In your name I pray.